Welcome to Drones Over Canada. I'm your host, Dave. Today is episode 5, Theory of Flight. As promised last week, it's a very exciting section. It's one of my favorites. And it has a lot in common with manned aviation. As you can imagine, they're the same principles. So if you've always wanted to get into being a pilot, this is a very good module. Now what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to take you back to your high school physics. We're going to talk about a few principles of flight, Bernoulli's principle and Newton's laws. This is going to help us realize how lift is produced. Bernoulli's principle states that faster moving air creates low pressure. Why is that important? Because low pressure means that there's a relatively high pressure area somewhere else. Now a wing works by having a curved shape on the top of the wing. This forces the air to move faster over the top of the wing than the bottom. That faster moving air, as Bernoulli said, creates low pressure on the top of the wing. On the bottom of the wing it's relatively high and that's what forces the wing up. Helicopter rotors and wings are both the same general principle and it's an airfoil. The only difference is the direction with that force is created. On a helicopter, that propeller will force the air down, which in turn forces the helicopter up. On something like a single-engine Cessna, it will force the air backwards, which moves the aircraft forward. And that gets us into Newton's laws. Now Newton has three laws, as most of us probably know. We're going to touch on the first two. Newton's first law states that every object will remain at rest or in uniform motion in a straight line unless compelled to change its state by the action of an external force. In simple parlay, this means that unless it's disturbed, it's going to keep doing what it was doing. His third law states that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And this is exactly what we need to know for flying any sort of aircraft. So, you have an aircraft, you have a rotor turning in one direction. Newton's third law says that the aircraft's going to turn in the opposite direction. And that's exactly what happens. And that's why we have all sorts of components on an aircraft, whether it's a helicopter or a fixed wing aircraft, to counteract these. On a fixed wing, the wings will create lift, as we discussed. But that means that if we didn't do something, we would have unlimited lift and nothing counteracting it. And that's why we have a tail. The tail, or the horizontal stabilizer, is basically an, up -down, an upside down wing that will force that part of the aircraft down. Some of you may have seen these on racing cars. They'll be at the back of the aircraft, I'm sorry, the back of the car, so that the car doesn't actually gain lift as the speed builds. It's the exact same principle. Now on the aircraft, we're also gonna have something called a vertical stabilizer. And on the back of the vertical stabilizer, you are gonna have something called a rudder. Now that rudder will deflect the air to create a yawing motion as required. On the back of the horizontal stabilizer, you're going to have what's called an elevator, which will deflect the air to either pitch the aircraft up or pitch the aircraft down. 
on the sides of the wings, you're gonna have ailerons, which will either increase the camber or the shape of the wing to create more lift, or generally the opposite wing will then decrease lift to force one wing up, one wing down, and that's how we induce a roll. On a helicopter, as discussed, we have a rotor moving in one direction. And if we didn't counteract that, we would have unlimited yaw. That's why you have a tail rotor. The tail rotor is simply an airfoil that's moving the aircraft to counteract Newton's third law and maintaining the yaw as desired. Now, we've talked about forces acting on an aircraft before. There's four forces, lift, drag, thrust, and weight. If all those forces are equal, the aircraft is said to be in equilibrium and it won't move. As we talked about in Newton's first law, it will stay exactly where it is until we induce another force upon it. If you're hovering your quadcopter, your quadcopter is in equilibrium. It's not until we ask the control services to apply a force for us that we're seeing movement. Now, we've talked about lift before in our previous podcast. Now, lift is created by Bernoulli's principle, and it will always work opposite of gravity. Some quadcopters will adjust the vector of the lift to also create thrust. Thrust will always work opposite of drag. And there's two types of drag, induced or parasitic. Induced is drag that is created from a surface that is also creating lift, for example, from the wings. Parasitic is drag created from a surface that is not producing lift, such as antennas or a camera. Now, if the four forces are perfectly balanced, we already know that the aircraft will not change any direction. It's only when we change those forces and take them out of equilibrium that we will see movement. For example, when you're taking off your quadcopter, you are spinning the rotors fast to increase your lift. Once the lift is greater than the gravity, you will see the aircraft rise. When you let go of the stick and let the aircraft hover, you're in equilibrium. When you move the stick to create thrust, you're using thrust to overcome drag, and you're moving forward. Now, aircraft have to have what's called stability. Stability is a factor of many things, and basically what it is is how easily the aircraft will return to flight. A aircraft like a Cessna that pilots are using to train on is very inherently stable. And what that means is that if you're in a maneuver, such as a turn, you let go of the control yoke, it will probably return to straight and level flight or some form of that, all by itself, because it's inherently stable. If you're flying a fighter jet, however, it will not, because fighter jets are inherently unstable, which allows them to do a lot of the maneuvers that they need to do. We have what's called longitudinal, lateral and directional stability. And that's just referring to the different ways an aircraft can move, either yaw 
rolled, or pitch. Center of gravity especially will affect longitudinal stability. And that's why it's so important that we don't attach things to an aircraft that haven't been approved because it will affect the center of gravity or the center of weight, therefore the stability of the aircraft. And once you get out of a certain envelope, you're unable to control the aircraft. Now we've talked about airfoils in regards to wings and rotors. What we're gonna talk about now is airflow and angle of attack. Now bear with me, Again, this is better described with diagrams and pictures, so we've put that up on the, on the Facebook page. As the air hits the wing, we have what's called relative airflow. As the wing is pitched up or down relative to the airflow, we change what's called angle of attack. An angle of attack is a derivative of the airflow and is what helps us change or manage lift. A high angle of attack will increase lift to a point. Once it gets to the point that the airflow can, never, can no longer cleanly flow over the wing, we've created so much induced drag that we've actually now decreased lift. And that's what is referred to as a stall. So again, generally, each wing will have an angle of attack limit that cannot be exceeded. And these are never intentionally exceeded, except for in the RPAS world of a deep stall landing, where you're actually intentionally creating that effect to allow you to approach and land at a steep angle. If some of you have taken private pilot lessons, you'll probably know this as slow flight or the backside of the power curve. At this point, you actually have to add more power to maintain that lift. Now an aerodynamic stall, as we discussed, is where the angle of attack is exceeded by the pitch or the relative airflow of the wing. The easiest way to get out of an aerodynamic stall is to decrease the angle of attack by pitching down. Once that airflow is regained over the wing, you will come out of the stall naturally, and the wing will once again produce lift. Lift on a wing is a factor of both the speed of the airflow over the wing and the camber or shape of the wing. Some aircraft are also able to change the shape of their wing in flight using what are called flaps or slats. You probably have seen these on a modern jet aircraft where they come out the front or the back of the airplane, of the wing. This is increasing the camber of the wing and therefore the lift. It's also increasing the induced drag, which is allowing the aircraft to approach at a slower speed than normal. We've talked before about propellers and rotors and the conditions that affect performance. Now I'm gonna go into this in a little more detail. It's affected by a few things. One is density altitude. Density altitude is the pressure of the air corrected for temperature. As you can imagine, a hot, humid day will have the most negative effect on lift. Whereas a cold, dry day is the best. Higher altitudes mean that the air pressure is lower and therefore it can produce less lift. That's why in your manual you'll see what's called a surface ceiling or a max operating altitude of your aircraft. 
That's where the wing can no longer sustain lift. If you start to see cracks or other problems in the rotors of your R-Pass, you need to replace them because they can easily come apart in flight if they're stressed and obviously they'll have catastrophic results. Drone Air is an aerial services company based in Barrie, Ontario. They specialize in helping your company bring drones into the workplace to increase efficiencies. If you've been thinking about using drones in your business, give Drone Air a call and they'll help you. For a free consultation, call them 705-990-1091 or visit them on the web at www.droneairtoday.com. All right guys, so we've already talked about the wing. And we've talked about the design of the wing and the camber of the wing. So just to go over, a wing can be designed to operate at all sorts of different speeds. Generally, a wing can do one thing very well and other things not so well. For example, a fighter jet wing is not really so good at flying at low speeds. It's meant to fly at high speeds, oftentimes higher than the speed of sound. So if you're going to fly that wing at lower speeds, you will not have the required airflow to create lift. Other wings are very good at low speed. Something like a Cessna that you learned as, to fly as a private pilot is very good at low speeds. However, if you try and take it too fast, it will start to have so much induced drag from the wing and you'll have parts of the wing that actually start to go supersonic a lot earlier than they normally would. And that's very bad. So you're always finding a balance in between these things and that's why it's so important that we operate the aircraft in accordance with the manual. Now, the design of the wing affects performance, but there's also ways that we can change the performance in flight. And that's what we've talked about with slats and flaps. There's also what's called spoilers, and spoilers are panels on the wing that will come up and block the airflow and decrease lift. On very modern and high-performance jet aircraft, for example, it's very hard to slow down and descend at the same time, even with no thrust on. And so the manufacturer has created these spoilers that can be extended by the pilot, and that will help with getting down and slowing down. We've talked about how flaps work by increasing the camber of the wing, which increases our lift, it increases our induced drag, and therefore lets us approach at a slower speed or take off at a slower speed for the same amount of lift. Now, it's important to realize that all these things work together with the wing design, and you generally might use some of them, or none of them, or all of them, depending on what you're trying to accomplish. With a quadcopter, you're not going to see any of these things we just talked about. You're going to see four rotors. We talked about in an earlier podcast how these rotors work against each other, moving in different directions to counteract the forces that are applied. 
If they all rotated in the same direction, you would create an induced yaw, which would be uncontrollable. So the manufacturer has made two sets of propellers that work in opposite directions. And using variation, variating speeds, they can create all the different forces that we need to, to be able to operate our, our R-Pass safely. As an example, I'm gonna go over a few basic maneuvers and try and explain what the rotors will be doing. Again, I have some great stuff on the Facebook page, so make sure you check it out and like it. Now, when you're taking off, you are moving all four rotors fast. Those rotors are all creating lift, moving downwards. Sorry, they're deflecting air downwards, which will then have an opposite reaction and move the aircraft up. Now, once we reach our altitude and we let go of the stick, we are balancing the forces. So the servo is working in conjunction with the IMUs and the GPS to balance the forces exactly how we want them. So lift has now been equalized to gravity. And our thrust has been equalized to our drag. When we want to move forward, we're going to increase the thrust to overcome the drag. And practically speaking, how the quadcopter accomplishes this is it slows the front rotors and increases the back rotors. This will pitch the aircraft down and therefore, instead of creating downward lift, it creates a thrust vector as well. And that is able to overcome the drag. When we want to descend, the aircraft is slowing the rotors and decreasing the lift to allow the lift to be less than the gravity and therefore we descend. If we want to do a yaw or point the nose to the left, we will simply increase the propeller on the side that we want to turn to. As already discussed, this will create the opposite reaction of the aircraft and it will begin to turn. My Pinata is a local berry-based company that designs personalized and handmade pinatas for all sorts of occasions. If you're looking for an exciting way to add to the next birthday party or any other event, check out My Personalized Pinata on Facebook. Sarah makes absolutely awesome pinatas. I can tell you she's had a couple out for my kids and they love it. So don't be afraid to check them out. They're very affordable. I think they start at $30 you won't be disappointed. The last thing we're gonna talk about in theory of flight is called load factor. Now load factor is kind of a neat and interesting topic. Once again, like a lot of this stuff, it's a little bit hard to explain verbally, so I'm gonna do my best. But don't be afraid to have a look at that Facebook page. Now, as you can imagine, when the aircraft is flying straight and level, you have all of the lift going up and all of the gravity going down. It's very easy and it's very simple. What happens, however, as the aircraft turns is that lift component is no longer directly opposite of gravity. As you can imagine, 
it's perpendicular to the wings. So if you're at a 45 degree angle bank, that lift is now at 45 degrees. What this means practically speaking is you need more lift to counteract gravity. You accomplish this practically speaking by increasing the angle of attack. But as we've learned, you can only increase the angle of attack so far. What this means is that at a high angle of bank, your load factor will be high, you will need more lift to counteract gravity, and you could easily stress the aircraft or enter an aerodynamic stall if you're not careful. Now, the aircraft will also encounter things like turbulence or wind gusts, and this can have a very similar effect. There's always structural or power limitations on these aircraft. They can only take so much stress. So it's important to only operate the airplane in accordance with its manual and follow things like wind speed limitations or on the case of a fixed wing R-pass, turning, banking, and other angle of attack limitations. guys, that's the end of Theory of Flight, believe it or not. Once again, I want to say thanks very much for listening. We're really, really enjoying the podcast and we hope you are too. As always, let your friends know about us, share us on Facebook, like our page, and download our podcast. Next week, we're going to have a very exciting episode. We're going to interrupt our RPAS knowledge exam sections for an exciting interview podcast. Now, after the RPAS topics are covered, we're gonna go more and more into this type of scenario. We're gonna have exciting guests from all around the drone world. So stay tuned and be ready. We'll talk to you next week.